Our first reading this morning is from Psalm 133, the divine gift of unity. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Henron, which falls on the mountain of Zion. For the Lord ordained his blessing, live forevermore. Our second reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. For those of you who desire a life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands an accounting from you for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering shall be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, for the righteous, for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which is prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Here ends this morning's readings. I am vertically challenged, so I have to pull out the uh, little uh, step stool. Good morning, and thank you so very much for inviting me to this space. I don't get a chance to preach often as a Roman Catholic laywoman. Um, so when I get invited to churches to either speak after the service or to preach um, a message, I am made aware of how intimate spaces churches are. And so when you invite someone else to bring you a message, it's a, it's a real act of hospitality and welcome, uh, and I do appreciate it. I also wanted to bring you greetings from uh, my seminary, Andover Newton Theological School in Newton Center, and hopefully invite you to look us up, uh, come up to the hill. There's uh, lots of wonderful programming going on, 
um, and there's opportunities for uh, certificate programs and um, other learning opportunities that are not necessarily related to a full seminary education like um, your leadership here uh, had to get. Um, I want to reread a few um, verses from the um, psalm this morning because uh, you'll learn later why they're so important to me. Um, we hear in the psalm how good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, kindred, dwell together as one, like fine oil on the head, running down upon the beard, upon the beard of Aaron, upon the collar of his robe, like dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. There the Lord has decreed a blessing, life forevermore. So I'm a mother of four children, ten and under. And these words about how wonderful it is for siblings to get along and how it is like fragrant oil streaming down from the kitchen cabinets is something I live and aspire every day. Um, in fact, this morning I was a little uh, concerned that I might not make it in because it was one of those explosive mornings among four siblings. And I was hoping that they would let me out the door. But they did. Um, and I feel like when they do get along among each other, that truly there is a blessing from the Lord. These are but fleeting moments in my household. Uh, the reasons our children might not be getting along are uh, many and sometimes complicated. Uh, one, the little one is fascinated with Barbie DVDs, so she wants to watch that on the TV, but the other, the boy wants to use the TV to play video games, uh, and they're complaining about that. The other child wants to play with the dolls from the older one that she hasn't touched in three years, but all of a sudden they become really important because someone else is touching them, and those were my dolls, and how dare she touch them. And so my days are filled with these complicated um, conversations about what belongs to whom and why I must be angry and not let someone else play with my toys. The problem is it's, it's not just the children. Um, it's us too. It's me. Um, I see myself in that position often because the impulse to exclude, the impulse to protect what's mine and my own and what I have earned with my hard work and the sweat of my brow, that impulse is really, really strong. Um, and it leads me, and it leads a lot of us, it sometimes leads our policymakers, to make rules and laws that are made to keep people out, whatever out and in means, to keep you out and me and my own in, um, to give me what I feel I deserve and not let you have any of that. Um, that's a really strong impulse that we have. And you didn't need some uh, really high-regarded seminary superstar like myself to come here and tell you that. You know that. Um, that's part of our everyday lives. Um, we think that children are pure and therefore immune from these dynamics of in and out, exclusion and inclusion, but they're not. Uh, we see it in our own children. Um, However clearly I see and understand the mandate to love my neighbor, turn the other cheek, give my cloak as well, and go and do likewise like the Samaritan did, 
All the, um, all the more so, as someone who identifies as a Christian ethicist, I shirk and run away as fast as I can when the call for real change knocks on my door. I run away because I am afraid. For I know that on that same road of loving neighbor, praying for those who persecute me, turning the other cheek, and welcoming the stranger, there is a cross for me to bear. And I am afraid of the risks of discipleship. So that's always some, been something that I've struggled with. That being a disciple of Christ, being a disciple of radically inclusive love, the love that breaks borders, the love that breaks barriers, the love that welcomes and doesn't exclude. Being a disciple and a witness to that love involves many risks. And Martin Luther King Jr., we remember him because he took those risks, and they were very costly risks. Not just him, but so many others that either followed his message, um, felt called by Christ to be with him in the changes that he wanted to make in this country. And then throughout history, everyone who preaches to radically inclusive love, including Jesus, obviously, is going to be persecuted because that message is going to threaten that sense of power and that sense of exclusion that is so inside each one of us. That's really... That's really where I find original sin, when I want to exclude someone or not love someone. That's where I find original sin. And so it's very powerful. And when we hear a message of radical inclusion and love, um, we want to put a wall up or we want to exclude. And that message is threatening. Um, St. Paul asks us today, now who is going to harm you if you are enthusiastic for what is good? But even if you should suffer because of righteousness, blessed are you. Do not be afraid or terrified with fear of them, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. For Christ also suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. That's the thing, isn't it? I, I don't want to suffer. I don't know about you. Um, this business of loving and teaching others how to love and learning every day how to love is really risky and has not ended well for our moral sheroes and heroes, for Martin Luther King and for Harvey Milk, for Gandhi and for Oscar Romero, for sisters Ida Ford, Jean Donovan, and countless women religious that were killed in Latin America during the 80s and more recently Sister Dorothy Stang, who was killed in the Amazon for her advocacy for indigenous rights to natural resources, for Malcolm X and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. These martyrs chose the path of discipleship for love, love which surpasses all understanding. All of them knew that they had chosen a risky and dangerous path. All of them knew the high cost of discipleship. All of them were warned that Excuse me, that their lives were in danger if they continued to preach dangerous, radical love. And yet they lived their witness to love in the joy that through them others would learn to dwell together as one with their sisters and brothers, that perhaps systems and armies of exclusion and hate would be transformed into tools of inclusion, care, and welcome to all. 
So I confess to you, I am afraid. I have been struggling with Christian, authentic Christian living and loving for so long that I'm wondering whether or not we are all called to be martyrs in one way or another. And I think part of understanding the cross, part of understanding the Christian message, part of understanding a figure like Martin Luther King Jr. and all the others I've mentioned is trying to learn for ourselves where is it that we have to die a little? Where is it that we have to put away things of our selfish selves, of um, ourselves that want to exclude, die to that so we can be born to the joy of radically inclusive love? What I feel I can only do is that I can only do this in community. Um, and in community, like these communities, is how we can figure out, um, we can do the hard task of figuring out how to love and not be afraid, or at least how to acknowledge our fears but not be paralyzed by them. And so that's also what I'm taking from someone like Martin Luther King Jr. He was afraid, and the people around him were afraid. But I, that the genius the beauty of the way they live is that they are not paralyzed in doing what's right by that fear. And that's what challenges me today. I hope it's, it's in the scripture readings for you today. I hope it's the message I conveyed to you today. We cannot be paralyzed by our fears to do the right thing and love others radically. And that's what community is about. Alone, it is paralyzing. Alone, we don't stand a chance to do this. But in community with one another, acknowledging and loving each other through our fears and failures, we can do that. We can live the little deaths that we have to deal with, and we can live in the joy of figuring out that we are walking in the path of love and discipleship. The more I learn about my moral heroes, the more I learn about how communities of faith and support help them see the joy and hope of Christian love. The best we have to offer society today, when so many conversations are dominated by our urges to close doors, keep and protect what I believe is mine, is the witness of a people who acknowledge these selfish parts of ourselves, but also bear with one another in radically inclusive love. Our communities can be and should be bearers of joy and hope to conversations dominated by suspicion, greed, and exclusion. There's so many examples of these conversations that we should enter into out of love and hope and possibility such as the discussions on gun violence, the discussions on immigration, the discussions on poverty. These are discussions often dominated by fear, exclusion, hopelessness, greed, um, and what the best that we have to offer as Christian communities grounded in the hope and love of the resurrected Christ is that we can figure out how to not be paralyzed by those very real fears and impulses for exclusion. If we can enter these conversations in our society from that position of hope and joy and radical love, then we are bringing big changes to these conversations. 
the best our communities can offer the world is the bold witness of truly human families with our fears and our failures, practicing radically inclusive and welcoming love. Through our loving witness, we can beat the paralysis of fear, take risks for love and justice, and express the joy that is our hope in Christ Jesus and the new life this represents to us. Thank you. I hope we can follow this conversation later on. It's always a wonderful message, but what does it look like walking down the street? What does it look like in our lives? And I hope maybe our conversations after church uh, with some coffee and uh, sitting down more comfortably that we can think about what can we do as a community? What does this look like? How can this community help me uh, overcome the paralysis of fear? Um, I know that's what I look for in my community of faith, and it's a real challenge to all of us. Thank you.